They are trying to end writing as a career and turn us into gig workers, and we're not going to allow it, and that's why we're out here. And young actors here from school to pay rent, but mind you, neither can nurses. So, I mean, you know, it's a bit of a problem all over the place. Our biggest ask were securing a fair deal in what is the new media landscape and streaming. This was an existential fight, as we've been saying all along. Welcome to On Strike, a production of Workers Strike Back. I'm Bia Lacombe. And I'm Shama Sawant. Hollywood, with its glamorous movie stars, blockbuster directors, and extravagant red carpet premieres, may seem like an unlikely setting for a union strike, let alone a historic example-setting one, but that's exactly what has happened. Hollywood writers, unionized with the Writers Guild of America, or WGA, went out on strike on May 2nd this year. For two months, WGA members were spat on by the wealthy studio executives of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP, which includes major companies like Disney, Netflix, and Warner Brothers. With insight from an unnamed studio executive and executives saying that Hollywood studios are basically willing to let the writers go broke before resuming contract negotiations in the fall, the bosses arrogantly assumed they would bring WGA to heel. But WGA carried out an all-out strike in defiance of the studio executives' strong-arming attempts. Then on July 14th, actors in Hollywood and around the nation unionized with SAG-AFTRA joined the writers with their own strike. Together, they helped to bring the studios and the bosses' profits to a grinding halt. The story is not finished and SAG-AFTRA members are still on strike, but already this has played out like a very satisfying Hollywood movie about the little guys sticking it to the billionaire class. I've been in the union for a little over eight years. Uh, I write on The Daily Show um, with uh, Trevor Noah for eight years and now with uh, whoever our next host will be. We were trying to secure gains for writers in that industry. We were trying to get protections against AI. We were trying to get the, the minimums raised. And for me personally, I work in the comedy variety field, so uh, there were no minimums for streaming comedy variety shows. There was no minimum term of employment. There were no minimum rates on the contract, so we were fighting for that. The biggest issues uh, for us were minimum staffing room sizes for television, uh, protections against artificial intelligence, as well as uh, second step deals for screenwriters. And there were a lot of issues uh, that just weren't sufficient and weren't addressed. We haven't been on strike for close to 150 days to settle for anything less than what we deserve. On September 26th, WGA won a landmark three-year tentative agreement. They are currently voting on whether to ratify that contract, and nothing is decided until that vote is over. But it seems clear that they have won breakthrough concessions from the bosses, such as minimum staffing requirements, health insurance for more writers, and timely payments for screenwriters. They've also won a 12.5% wage increase over the next three years, and they need to continue pushing for cost-of-living increases. As The Verge reports, the new contract clearly puts the writing leadership and hiring decisions of a project staff writers in the hands of the showrunners instead of the studio bosses. Showrunners are the lead writers, the creative authority over a series, and are responsible for its vision. WGA has also won major progress in the tentative agreement on the residuals that writers get paid. After being paid their initial wages, residuals are payments that writers and performers receive for TV and film projects when the shows continue airing on cable or on streaming apps like Netflix. This win on residuals is pivotal, because in the age of streaming services, 
writers, actors, and others who work in the industry are increasingly getting cut out of the profits being made. The tentative agreement lays down another marker, and that's on artificial intelligence. The contract puts in place a number of restrictions designed to prioritize human labor and creativity in writing over AI. On the whole, in addition to big wins on wages and staffing, WGA members have won language in a whole number of areas that sets important minimum standards, preparing the ground for the union to win even stronger language in future contracts if they continue to build militancy among the rank and file. This was the second longest strike in the Writers Guild of America's 90-year history. A strike in Hollywood might seem too far removed from the everyday life of most Americans to garner much support, but what we saw was the opposite. Polls showed that nearly three out of four Americans surveyed said that they were aware of the strike, and that 71% of Americans supported the writers and actors striking for better pay and conditions. Even 63% of Trump voters with an opinion on the strike backed the writers' efforts. This public support for the strikes, despite corporate media parroting the boss's talking point at every turn, reflects how well the writers and actors got their message out, and also the historically high levels of support for unions in recent years. Getting the public on their side was something the writers did incredibly well. They did countless interviews, used social media, and wrote articles exposing their working conditions and the bottomless greed of the massively wealthy studio executives they were up against. They explained how this is about writers and actors who work all over the country in films and productions. As a member of SAG-AFTRA said to us, quote, We are more than Hollywood. We are commercial actors, industrial actors, independent film actors, and we are everywhere, end quote. Many actors, including celebrities, publicly posted photos of the insulting streaming residual checks they had received, amounting to just pennies, and in some cases, literally zero dollars. What's been happening in the film and television industry mirrors the rot in the rest of the capitalist economy. The CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav, was paid nearly $500 million between 2018 and 2022. That's 384 times the average pay of a Hollywood writer. Average pay for Hollywood's top executives was $28 million in 2021, up 53% from 2018. Meanwhile, the average pay for a Hollywood writer has dropped 14%, taking inflation into account over that same time period. Housing costs and the overall cost of living has skyrocketed, especially in cities like Los Angeles and New York, where many of the film and television writers and actors have to live in order to be where most of the work is. In an industry that looks exceedingly glitzy from the outside, some writers report making so little money that they have to go on food stamps. This is similar to UAW auto workers who are striking for cost of living wage increases in yet another industry where CEO salaries, shareholder profits, and stock buybacks have hit record highs. These strikes speak to workers across the country who are watching their bosses get richer and richer while they can barely pay the bills. The kind of money that they're making, they weren't going to come up off of that unless we took a stand. I knew that. They are digging in to make as much money as possible and to pay the worker as little as they can get away with. And, and WGA was going to stand and say, we're not gonna let you get away with it. And I think they wanted to test us. I think they thought we wouldn't be strong enough to hold out. Beyond wage increases, writers were striking against the way their jobs have been increasingly turned into gig work. The last decade has brought about rapid changes to the entertainment industry, especially as streaming services have begun to dominate the market. In the early 2010s, streaming companies created a new business model for film and TV that generated revenue from subscriptions rather than advertising. 
profitability for these companies depended on rapidly attracting subscribers through the licensing and later production of an expanding library of movies and TV shows. But this new model had none of even the most basic requirements that the writers and actors unions had previously won. With broadcast TV, for example, every time an episode of a show aired, writers and artists got a residual. With streaming, there were no residuals, just a flat fee that the studio gets paid from, say, Netflix to air the show, a tiny percentage of which goes to those who created the show. No matter how often a show was streamed, writers and artists got virtually nothing. That has now changed with the WGA agreement, which for the first time guarantees writers a percentage based on how a show or movie performs. This was a key issue for both sides. The fact that the studio executives were unable to starve the writers into giving up on this demand shows the power and determination of these strikers. Before the rise of streaming, broadcast TV shows were generally produced by writers' rooms, a staff of 6 to 12 writers who were paid for 20 to 26 weeks per season on a three-year contract. Because streaming companies needed to generate new content quickly, they hired so-called mini-rooms of one to three writers who would pitch ideas for an entire season of television in a few days and then rapidly draft a season's worth of episodes in five to ten weeks. At the end of the day, streaming companies were getting an entire season's worth of content at a fraction of the cost, while writers were increasingly paid less and employed for much less time. Mini-rooms quickly became the industry standard and it became common for writers to be able to find employment for just one season of television, 10 to 20 weeks, and be unemployed for the rest of the time. I've been in many rooms where there's three of us, three of us, and our job is to write not just the first couple of episodes, but plan out an entire season of television in two months. It's the kind of work that 20 people used to take close to a year doing, and they're asking three people to do it in two months. And we take those jobs because those are the only jobs being offered. That's why a central demand from the WGA was about staffing. No more mini-rooms. They demanded a minimum of six writers for a minimum of 10 weeks, as well as a percentage of the revenue generated by streaming shows. And as Shama said, WGA members have also demanded limits on how studios can use artificial intelligence, which they've threatened to use to replace writers' jobs. With the new tentative agreement, WGA members have won back the writers' room, with a minimum of three writers for a minimum of 10 weeks, plus a guarantee for additional writers as the number of episodes increases. They also won some protections around AI-generated content. There are limitations to the victories of the contract. The union will only be able to release streaming figures in aggregate to membership, which will make it difficult to tell if writers are being shortchanged on the success of their work. Studios will have to disclose if any material given to writers to develop is AI-generated, and AI can't be credited as a writer, but there aren't yet safeguards on what studios can use AI for outside of scripts. But it is nonetheless a huge step forward. Talking about AI, the writers and actors' strikes help expose how, while science and technology are central to improving the quality of life, what innovation gets prioritized and how it gets deployed is not neutral at all. In reality, it is often seized on by the bosses to attack workers. Technological advances like streaming services are valued by everyone who has access to them. Indeed, there is now a new generation that has never experienced a world without streaming. But under capitalism, the bosses have virtually all control over technology, even though it's workers who create it. The capitalists are only really interested in it as a way to reduce labor costs and maximize profits, not improve living standards of society as a whole. It'll be unintentionally funny.
Right now, you know, if you ask it to write you a script, it'll spit out something really ridiculous and absurd. Uh, and it can be funny because it's kind of like a 10-year-old wrote it. It'll be scary to see what happens in the coming years, though. None of us are worried that a computer is going to write a script better than we can. The worry is that these studios are going to use that, own the rights because their computer made it, and then just hire one writer to fix it. Forget minimum room sizes. You're talking about 20 people being replaced by one. So streaming and AI as technologies are being used as battering rams to relentlessly undercut working class living standards. This is similar to what the UAW is facing right now in their battle with the big three auto companies, where electric vehicle technology is being used in a brutal attempt to break the auto workers union by locating electric vehicle production in non-union plants. In the battle in Hollywood, it's not just the studio executives that the writers and actors are up against. Like every other industry, Hollywood's real power broker is Wall Street. But the bottom line is this, is what this is really about is looking at power, power relationship. Now, the real power in Hollywood is actually Wall Street because the hedge fund managers really run things. So how did WGA members win? They went all out in their strike from the beginning. They mobilized strong picket lines, chose picketing targets wisely, and before the actors joined them on strike, attempted to interrupt Hollywood as best as possible. In the early days of the strike, picketers would use bullhorns and loud music to disrupt film sets from their place on the sidewalk outside, making filming impossible. Workers and unions trying to build an effective strike should take home this lesson. Workers need to be laser-focused on shutting down production and the boss's profits because that is the only thing the bosses understand. One of the most important things WGA did was appeal for support across the labor movement. At a WGA rally outside of NBC headquarters in May, the crowd included nurses, teachers, teamsters, and retail workers. This was the scene at most of the rallies WGA held during the strike. Trucks driven by Ayatsi and the teamsters refused to cross the picket line at multiple studio lots, keeping production halted. And it's also why the studios opposed WGA's demands so vehemently, because they know that any victorious worker struggle is contagious and that if workers beat them, it could have a domino effect. It is this kind of collective power that the bosses fear the most. So what the studio heads and what the studios are looking at is this, is if they can find a way to break the cycle of strikes. Their worry is if they give in, as one a studio executive said to me, to the Writers Guild, then what is going to happen is every contract cycle is going to become a strike. IATSE, the Teamsters, WGA, DGA, all the rest going forward. And that this to them is where they're going to have to plant their flag to make their mark to stop that. Was Hollywood pretty much shut down anyways because of the writers? Yes, it was. But now what happens is now you're going to have some big names that people are going to see. People know some writers, but it's when we've already seen people like Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul or Jane Fonda showing up to support the writers. Now you're going to see a lot of that. And what that means is in an America where labor action is more pre prevalent than it's been in a long time, you're going to see names that my uncle and my aunt or your uncle and your aunt or your mom and dad, et cetera, et cetera, people they know suddenly speaking about this. At almost every turn, Hollywood union members dealt blow after blow to their opponents. Key to this success has been their determined messaging around their demands and regular updates to the public, solidarity from other unions, getting showrunners to stick by staff writers, and most crucially, keeping production dark. 
When Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore tried to get their shows running again despite the strike, the public outrage was so overwhelming that they were shamed into reversing their plans to scab. Drew Barrymore, who's a producer in addition to being an actor, felt so much pressure that she was forced to release a teary apology video about quote-unquote hurt feelings of workers. Although in that same video, she said her show would continue. There are so many reasons why this is so complex. I deeply apologize to writers. I deeply apologize to unions. The outrage over that video was so strong that Barrymore had to give in after all. The widespread support for Hollywood unions ensured that there would be no mercy for scabbing, even if they were big name stars. While some might have initially felt sympathetic toward Barrymore, that was short-lived. And in reality, she comes from one of the most established, longest-running family dynasties in the industry, with a personal net worth of around $125 million. She knew exactly what she was doing. These kinds of things have to be called out, and it was correct that the public was disgusted with Barrymore's attempt to cross the picket line. Afterward, even the National Book Awards dropped her as this year's host. Bill Maher, host of Real Time with Bill Maher and regular mouthpiece for the Democratic Party, also announced his show would be coming back despite the ongoing strike. What I find objectionable uh, about the philosophy of the strike, it seems to be they have really morphed a long way from 2007 strike, where they kind of believe that you're owed a, a, a living as a writer, and you're not. WGA responded saying that they would picket his show if he went forward, just like they picketed Barrymore's set. Marr was lambasted on social media, and after seeing the backlash to Barrymore, he felt the fear of God and backed down too, announcing that his show would remain on hiatus until the strike ended. WGA's militancy and the wide labor movement solidarity is what made it possible for them to win a tentative agreement that tripled the value of the offer the studio executives made before the strike. In the beginning, the studios thought they had the upper hand. They outright dismissed many of the union's demands without even a counteroffer. The studio executives were so cocky and vicious, one of them told reporters, quote, the end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses, end quote. I wasn't surprised. I wasn't shocked. But there were some people that were hurt and shocked by that. And I'm like, yeah, they think it, they behave that way. You know, it's like the snake has come out of the grass so we can stomp on it. So I was almost thankful that that comment was made so that everybody could see what we're really up against and what they, what they really think. We're talking about the executives, the people who make those monstrous salaries and get those, um, those bonuses and the shareholders who kind of allow things to kind of kind of crumble and go forward dysfunctionally like this because they want to make money. That's the thing about a strike. It's incredibly clarifying. There are two sides and no more room for the CEOs to hide behind the one big family bullshit that we will all work together on the same team. The bosses can be made to show what they really are, to be honest about how they really see us workers. It becomes clear that without workers, there is nothing. Faced with a strong strike, all of the boss's lies go up in a puff of smoke along with their profits. The turning point for the WGA strike was when SAG-AFTRA members joined them in a strike of their own for the first time in 63 years. This was a key difference from 2007 when only WGA was on strike. We're just looking for an equitable contract, something that makes the working actor uh, able to pay their bills, pay their rent, buy 
food for their families. For me, the most important demand is AI. I have been in this business forever, so I firsthand have seen the declining residuals and the fact that we are not being paid fairly on streamers. So that's the most important thing that most actors really struggle about, having a decent wage for a level of work and that we're not being abused. Long strikes are a struggle for union members. The massive industries and corporate bosses sometimes have large reserves of cash and political and media clout, enabling them to wait the strike out, even for months, to prevent workers winning a decent contract. The bosses hate strikes, which can cost them billions of dollars, but they also don't want a successful strike inspiring other workers and unions. As the writers' strike lengthened, there was a real risk that the strike fund could be depleted and the pickets could suffer. The writers had no choice with streaming, AI, and the gigification of their work relentlessly eroding their power, they had to fight back. They organized a truly powerful strike, and it still took 20 weeks to force the studio bosses to the bargaining table. But it was important that at every step, WGA fought to strengthen the strike and bring maximum pressure to bear. The studios rely on a divide-and-conquer approach, and they were partially successful in that they got the director's guild to agree to a contract without striking. Some productions that were already scripted initially continued to film when WGA was on strike alone, which undermined solidarity and the pressure the writers were able to put on the studios. So it was crucial that SAG-AFTRA rank and file refused to go along with this and took to the picket lines in July. SAG-AFTRA is a much bigger union with 160,000 members compared with WGA's 11,500. And it shut Hollywood down. Without the actors, there was no way anything could happen. They couldn't market the current films with the actors, but with both of us out, it was like, it really brought the pain. And that's what we needed to do. The strikes would have been stronger had they started at the same time and ended at the same time. And if the Directors Guild had struck as well, they would have had more leverage in keeping Hollywood's doors shut. But even with this timing, striking together gave both unions a decisive advantage and delivered a huge setback for the AMPTP bosses. Though the writers will not legally be allowed to remain on strike to support the SAG-AFTRA contract battle after WGA has ratified its own tentative agreement, it is absolutely correct that WGA has encouraged its membership to continue attending SAG-AFTRA picket lines. As we were all talking about it, celebrating after the deal came through, it wasn't a question. We're like, so what are we doing Tuesday? And the answer was, we're going back to the lines. We're going to get different signs, and we're going to be there supporting SAG-AFTRA. So the writer's strike is over, but I am still on the picket line because I'm a SAG-AFTRA member as well, and we are still on strike for better wages, better working conditions, and protection from AI, and we are not leaving the picket line until we get it. And guess what? There are hundreds of writers out here supporting SAG-AFTRA as well. With our Writers Guild stands with SAG-AFTRA signs, we are standing with our fellow workers because they stood with us from day one of our strike, so we are gonna stand with them until the last day of their strike. I was out there with the WGA when it was just that union on strike. And also importantly, the WGA, now that they've reached an agreement, they're actually showing up for us now because we're still striking. They're still standing in solidarity with us, with us even though they got their deal. So yeah, we're, we're in this fight until we win it, plain and simple. It was SAG-AFTRA rank-and-file members who pushed their leadership to strike after hearing that negotiations were supposedly proceeding in a quote-unquote productive way. Actors were correctly skeptical that the studio bosses would offer what members needed to survive. 87% of SAG-AFTRA members don't even make the $26,000 required annually to qualify for health care benefits. When people think of Hollywood actors, they think of big money. But just like the writers, most actors are rarely able to pay their bills solely from acting, and most have to maintain other jobs. So rank-and-file actors circulated a letter where they said, quote, 
we are prepared to strike if it comes to that. And we are concerned by the idea that SAG-AFTRA members may be ready to make sacrifices that leadership is not, end quote. Over 2,000 members, including many top-billed actors, signed the letter. Always eager to help block a strike, President Biden and the Democrats decided to send a federal mediator in a last-ditch attempt to pressure SAG-AFTRA to an agreement. But even they couldn't squash the real pressures from the members. The federal mediators failed to intimidate SAG-AFTRA, which publicly refused to move the deadline for launching their strike. Here's what I think about the Democratic Party. I think that, like the Republican Party, their palms are greased by big companies. And they're going to side on the larger companies, and they're going to side not with the worker. Um, it's where their bread is buttered. The mood at the picket lines was high after the actors joined. And well-known actors donated millions to the strike fund and made public statements criticizing corporate greed, declaring that workers deserve health care and fair wages. Actors promoting big studio films walked out of high-visibility movie premieres the moment the actor strike began. By late summer, the stock prices of nearly all the major entertainment companies took major hits. Disney shares fell below $100 to a nearly nine-year low. Warner Brothers Discovery admitted that it would lose $300 to $500 million due to the strikes. The bosses began to feel real pain, and that's what finally brought them to the table with WGA. The actors have similar demands to those of WGA, including protections as AI and other new technology develops. The studios want to pay background actors a single day's wage to scan their faces and bodies and sign over all rights to use their likeness forever, which would extract millions of dollars in wages from working actors. The horrible thing was that what he said was about the whole business of artificial intelligence. And he was told in no unfirm terms that they would keep his image and do what the fuck they like with it. Now that is a completely unacceptable position. And that is the position that we should be really fighting against. Actors also face a whole host of other types of potential violation from studios using AI. As one SAG-AFTRA member explained to us, unless actors fight back, their full body scans could be used to create any type of content. And not only would the actors be denied credit and payment, they would also not be given any notification, much less have any control over how their likeness would be used, whether it's a scene that takes place in a strip club or it's a body double for an intimate scene. I think AI is the biggest thing because I've been in this business for so long. I mean, pictures and video of my face has been taken for almost my entire life. Like, I need to know that I'm protected, that they're not going to use an image of me from when I was seven years old, you know, or a video of me, and that I'm not going to be fairly compensated for that. So because of that, because of AI and concerns about actors having their likenesses replaced by, you know, scanned and then used and then not paid, which is, should be a violation of just human rights to begin with. It's important for us to support them in that effort because we also know that if we write scripts and don't have actors, what are we doing? We can't make it. We need to know that these jobs are going to be protected because I'm a career actor. Like, this is what I do. We're not just going to give up. We're not. We're going to fight. My entire life depends on it. Disney CEO Bob Iger, the day after he increased his own compensation to $81 million over the next three years, said, quote, there's a level of expectation that they have that is just not realistic, end quote. Very disruptive. So they're not being realistic? No, they're not. Why not? I can't, I can't, I can't answer that question. I, again, I respect their right and their desire to get as much as they possibly can in compensation 
for their people. But you also have to be realistic about it, the business environment and what this business can deliver. It is and has been a great business for all of these people and it will continue to be even through disruptive times. These useless super rich parasites like Bob Iger expect that when they plead poverty, the rest of us will believe them. Sorry, Bob, but we're not buying. In truth, if the studios had given WGA everything they were asking for, it would only take away less than 1% from their bottom line. For this ultra-rich elite, that's basically a rounding error. The big studios absolutely have the money to give writers and actors what they're demanding, and we've seen from the exceptional WGA agreement that this is true. And even some independent studios with significantly smaller budgets than the large-scale ones have been able to provide everything SAG-AFTRA is asking for, which further proves it's not about how expensive the workers are. As another veteran writer put it to news site Vulture, quote, these companies destroyed people's lives for five months with no fucking reason when they could have made this deal on day one, end quote. And that is what it comes down to. This system forces workers into these battles. The endless greed of those at the top gives working people no choice but to fight for what we need. What is set out in the proposed WGA contract doesn't yet guarantee a good enough standard of living for writers as the profession attempts to claw its way back from dangerous precarity. But the experience from this victorious strike has undoubtedly helped set the stage for WGA rank and file to continue building the struggle for bigger streaming bonuses and for workers to have a real say in how and how much AI is used in the industry. Furthermore, the five-month-long strike offers important political lessons for a new generation of writers and the wider working class on what it means to strike effectively, the incredible power of solidarity, and the merits of holding out for the best possible deal despite the personal cost. Most immediately, SAG-AFTRA members should use WGA's victories in residuals, AI, and other areas to wrest similar or better concessions from the studios. And just over a week ago, SAG-AFTRA members have taken a 98% strong strike authorization vote for a fair contract in the gaming industry, which covers voice, motion capture, and stunt work. This is confirmation of the existential nature of the challenge facing workers in the entertainment and television industry, including the exploitative use of AI. And what has been won by WGA members must also be seized upon by them with renewed militancy when their contract is once again up for negotiation, or workers risk falling backward again. This, too, is a universal lesson for rebuilding a labor movement. In this time of capitalist crisis, there is no basis for stability between workers and the bosses. Either they are winning or we are. The bosses are already regrouping, with the major streaming services forming their own political lobbying group called the Streaming Innovation Alliance. They are pushing news articles, blaming higher costs for streaming services on the writers' gains. They will come back next time, ready to try and divide and undermine workers in every possible way, which means WGA, SAG-AFTRA, all unions, and all workers should learn the lessons of how this victory was won. I really think there's been a kind of um, an awakening, um, kind of a, an awakening of, wait, what? Wait, this, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The worker is supposed to have their share. I'm hoping that there will be kind of an umbrella that might develop where the unions work under one umbrella, not just, not separately. Because it's not just the writers, it's not just the actors, it's not just Teamster and IATSE, we're talking about hotel workers, we're talking about Starbucks and Amazon employees, we're talking about labor in this country, the people that make the entertainment that we watch, the people that pave the roads, the people that 
do all of the things that we need to live being exploited by capitalism. That's what we need in this country is a labor movement, and we're seeing that take shape right now. This is especially urgent because there's a major crisis facing the entertainment industry, a crisis of the studio executive's own making. And this is inevitable given the logic of capitalism. In this system, any source of profit attracts and creates competition. Other streaming platforms arose, each promising an exclusive library of shows and movies. When it was clear that there weren't enough existing hit shows and movies to license, streaming platforms were forced to produce their own TV and films. Taking advantage of low interest rates, they borrowed against their inflated stock value to finance new productions, creating enough hits to build a profitable subscriber base. However, climbing interest rates have backed streamers into a corner. They have to keep producing or acquiring shows and films to win subscribers at an ever-shrinking rate without driving away current subscribers by sharply raising prices or introducing ads. Meanwhile, the debt they have incurred requires repayment at a higher rate. There's an obvious limit to all this. There's a finite number of people in the world. Exponential profit growth on a subscriber model simply cannot sustain itself, and streaming platforms know that. Consequently, this is not only about standards of living for entertainment industry workers, this is also about challenging the method of production the entire industry has built itself around over the last decade. It will require all unions in the sector to organize in a united way against a sociopathic system driven by ever-increasing profits at whatever cost, which ultimately requires a challenge to capitalism itself. And it's not possible to do this unless we also understand the role of the political institutions of the ruling class. While Republicans are openly anti-labor, the Democrats also serve the same Wall Street interests. That anti-union Hollywood lobbying group that Bia mentioned, it's being headed by a Republican and a Democrat. And just this past Saturday, California's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, vetoed a bill backed by WG and SAG-AFTRA that would have given unemployment benefits to workers on strike, once again reminding us of the need for a new party for working people. Having a labor party represents the biggest population in America of any group. Because when you think about the people that do everything in this country, and if it's not gonna be one of these parties stepping up, then yeah, we need, we need labor in this country. Solidarity to WGA as their members vote on this agreement, and solidarity to SAG-AFTRA to win a strong contract of their own. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to hit the subscribe and like buttons. On Strike is a production of Workers Strike Back, a nationwide organization fighting on working class demands like a $25 an hour minimum wage, union jobs, Medicare for all, and against discrimination and oppression. Worker Strike Back is also calling for a new party for working people, because neither the Republican Party nor the Democratic Party represents us. Find out more at workerstrikeback.org and donate. And look for us on Patreon to support our work. On Strike is a broadcast entirely for working people and funded entirely by working people. See you next week. Solidarity.